Well, I tell you what, it is great to have the choir back. Wasn't that great? Woo! Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for being here today. I have a picture I want to show you. Picture? Picture? Well, there was a picture I wanted to show you. There it is! That was the uh, youth Sunday school last week. Um, we are having almost double what we were having last spring. That big guy in the middle, back in the back. Tim, raise your hand. He's our new youth pastor. Come on, Tim. Come on, stand up. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Good job, buddy. He is really doing a great job sharing the love and message of Jesus Christ with our teenagers. So, uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to tell you a story. I want to give you a little context for it. Um, Part of the seminary education and training is to do an internship. Now, a lot of of seminary students uh, will do... uh, have church jobs, they'll, have, uh, they'll even have, have uh, small churches that they'll serve part-time while they're in seminary. But the internship is a guided, very regulated uh, ch- uh, experience. You are part of a growth group with other interns where you share joys and challenges with a, um, with a, with a supervisor, and then you work underneath the supervising pastor that is either the senior pastor at the church where you're serving or a, a pastor somewhere else if you happen to be serving in a local church as a lead pastor. And you have to write weekly, at least at, at Perkins, you had to write weekly process papers on some, uh, some ministry item that, uh, to, to learn and dig deeper into ministry and to grow for that year as, uh, as you serve. I had the opportunity to serve at Lakeside United Methodist Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Now, you're probably thinking, now, why was a Texas boy in Arkansas, uh, particularly Pine Bluff, if you know anything about Pine Bluff, Arkansas? Anybody know even where Pine Bluff is? Yeah. Thank you. I see hands going up all over. God bless you. God bless you. Um, uh, and, And I was excited about it because the pastor that was there was one of the lead teaching pastors in the Methodist church at that time. And students literally would kind of maneuver uh, to try to, to work under the senior pastor there. And so I, I got the opportunity, and I, I went there, and it was everything that I had hoped it would be. I learned a tremendous amount, even though I grew up with a, with a pastor who was a father. Um, and uh, Ed was really good at kind of easing me in, and... I, it was the first month that I was there. I got a hospital assignment to go uh, to pray with the family. It was a supposedly a routine kind of uh, nothing's minor when you when you're having surgery, but uh, a thirty minute surgery, some kind of deal on his neck, and um, so I went early enough to have prayer with the family. I um, sat with the family for a little while. The wife, uh, uh, but. That he had three kind of teenagers that ran from like 12 to 16. And I, um, I think it was the older one that was there. And we, we talked for a while and we realized that 30 minutes had passed. We hadn't heard anything. And she kind of looked at me and said, it's been 30 minutes. In fact, it's been like 40, 45 minutes. 
And at that point, the doctor walks out with this very serious look on his face and said the words that you never want to hear. We've had a complication. And he then began to explain that as they were doing the surgery, the carotid artery had ruptured. And that he said we had to, we did get it repaired, but in the process we had to cut off the flow of the blood to the brain. And we are not sure about whether there was any brain damage as a result. And with that, he leaves. I mean, he just turned around and walked off. He didn't say, have any questions? You know, uh, he didn't give the family any reassurance. He said, when and if he wakes up, we'll know. Well, we went back over and sat down, and I froze. I, I knew as a pastor I was supposed to say something, but I just froze. I, I, I thought, I kept thinking to myself, you need to pray, you need to pray. I couldn't pray. I was just totally frozen. And then I realized there was a box of Kleenexes. The wife was crying. The teenager was just trying to console his mom. I just began to pull tissues out of the box. and, and get, I mean, literally, she had a whole lap full of tissues. It's the only thing I could think of to do. I've, I felt horrible. I felt like a failure. I'm not sure how long it was seemed like eons, but the doctor finally came out and said, had a big smile on his face. He said, George is awake. He's, he's laughing. He said, uh, we've run him through a few tests. We think he's fine. We'll run an, an MRI, but I'm absolutely convinced that everything's great. And, and it was. Well, I got it out of there as fast as I could. I mean, I was just mortified. I thought, I'm supposed to be a pastor I did nothing pastoral. I went, went back to the office. I left uh, Ed a note that the surgery had, had been completed. It went okay. And then avoided everyone for the rest of the day. The next morning I came in and I got the summons to the pastor's office. And I thought, oh no, here it comes. He's probably going to send me home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who wants somebody that can't even function in probably the most important uh, crisis for a family? And I walked in his office. I kind of mumbled some kind of excuse and apology. And he was very good at listening. And then he said to me, he said, John, I just got off the phone with the wife. And she shared with me how much she appreciated you being there in their hour of need. She shared with me that you're listening and just being them, there for them with just what they needed, not any words that you would have shared. I was shocked. I was shocked. Um, and we, we talked a little bit about, and, 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 and then he went on to share with me, he said, John, you need to get over yourself. I kind of looked at him, you know, he said, you need to get over yourself. Remember, this job is about who we represent as the presence 
of the incarnation of Christ. It's not about who we are. It's not even about what we say. It's about who we represent. And I will, <laughs> that was kind of interesting. What was that? It sounded like, <laughs> sounded like a chipmunk over there. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I know you guys are mortified at this point. Who's ever phone went off? Um, I will never forget what he said to me. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we do. It's about who we represent. And, and it's not just pastors. It's who we are as followers and believers of Jesus Christ. As God came in Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, as the incarnation, as the flesh and blood. So we are the incarnation of Jesus Christ in this world today. And, 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 and that's what I think John is trying to share with us. Jesus came for a reason to be God with us. And, and he makes clear in these passages that we are not alone. And as God has loved us, as we talked about earlier, and as John states in his letter, so we are the love of Christ. For Jesus has come to be with us, to show God's love for us, to die for us, and to offer eternal life for us. That is our victory and what we look at today. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words that we may hear your word, your holy word for us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Verse 6, uh, and I, I believe that everything John has said leads up to these six verses. This is the main purpose and goal and what John is trying to do with this letter. Everything is leading up to these verses. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus. Not with water only but with the water and the blood. Now, <laughs> the water and the blood, uh, and what John means by that has been argued uh, in the church and in seminaries uh, for a long time. Uh, particularly water. And, and there's three basic approaches. Number one, water is representative of his birth. Uh, number two, uh, his baptism or number three, a part of his death. That a child is born of water, as a woman's water breaks, uh, 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 that Jesus was baptized. And in his baptism, it was revealed that this is my son. And along with the blood comes the water that gushes out of Jesus' side when his side is pierced. Now, um, I'm going to just share with you that I have a very definite opinion on what I think John is talking about here. 
Because in the context of John's day and time and the false teachings that he's dealing with, I, want, I think that John, and I believe that John, is trying to make clear that Jesus is a real flesh and blood man. That he lived as a man. That Jesus is not a phantom, as the Gnostics would try to claim. That he was not just a good man and teacher, as other groups would try to claim. That he was the Son of God from the very moment that he was conceived. He was conceived as the Son of God for a purpose. And therefore, when, Paul, when John says water, he's speaking of his birth. By the water of his birth, by the very presence of his birth, the real man Jesus was the Christ when he was born. God with us. The blood is a little easier, and there's, you know, very much agreement on it, that this is, his, this is his, his sacrifice. This is the crucifixion, that he shed blood for us, that he died for us. It clearly points to the cross. As Matthew says in 26, 28, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Without the cross, there is not the forgiveness of sins. Without the blood, there is not the continuing work of Jesus. By water and by his birth and by his sacrifice, his suffering. In Acts 22, chapter 2, verse 31, Peter says this. He says, the resurrection of Christ, that his life was not left in the grave. Okay, All right. what's Peter saying here? Because he's taking it a step further. He's saying that um, Jesus was born a man. He died a man. <laughs> but he rose in glory. Death was not the end. Our suffering is not the end. Our trials are not the end. Our troubles are not the end. Our circumstances are not the end. That when John says God is with us, he's saying we share in the presence and in the victory of Jesus, no matter how weak we may be and how much of a failure we may feel. He then goes on. And he says, there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, a key word here in these six verses is the word testify. Uh, John <laughs> kind of shifts and uses the language of a courtroom here. Okay? It, it's like he's making a, a case for Jesus. And seven times he uses, eight, eight times he uses the word testify. And the first is that the spirit and the water and the blood. Now, he's made a case for the water and the blood. Now he adds the spirit. What is the spirit that gives testimony to Jesus? It is the spirit that was there through the angels that proclaimed his identity. 
through the signs and wonders of Jesus, the Spirit proclaims his identity. At the resurrection, the Spirit proclaims his identity. The Spirit continues to give testimony to who he is, God with us, that will not leave us. Now, typically in a court proceeding uh, in that particular day, it took two testimonies, okay? Now, John has done the overkill. He's provided three, but he's not done yet. (laughs) You know, I imagine that the judge is, you know, this metaphorically, the judge is sitting up there going, come on, John, you've made your case. You've won your case. Sit down. But he goes on. If we receive human testimony, which is what was happening in those churches to whom whom John writes, they were listening to human testimony instead of divine testimony. The testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has testified to his son. That he has proclaimed, that God has proclaimed that Jesus is his son. It is the ultimate testimony. I mean, who, who argues with God? And, and, and to what is, is John speaking of here? And that's part of the problem that we sometimes have with 1 John is that John assumes that we've read his gospel. And so in some of these cases, we have to go back to the gospel to kind of figure out what he's saying. What he's saying here is what happens at Jesus' baptism? At Jesus' baptism, when Jesus is baptized, God says this, the voice of God says, this is my son. The testimony of God. This is my son. The resurrection itself is a testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ by God that he is the son of God, the savior, the one who brings God's presence to humanity. Four testimonies, and John's not done yet. You look at the passage, the fifth testimony is us. Those who believe in the Son of God had the testimony in their hearts. The truth of the, of the incarnation of Jesus as the Son of God and Savior is known through the Scriptures, it is known through the water and the blood. It is known through, uh, through the Spirit. It is known through God. But it continues to be known through our testimony. It continues to be known in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we proclaim and, and live the love of God, in the belief that we have. So we are the final testimony. And, and what is that testimony? a billion plus believers now today. And do you know where and when the Christian community grows the fastest? In places that are being challenged. In places where Christians are being martyred. In places where the gospel is against the law because what God is saying to us is that nothing will hold back my power. 
And so our continued belief, our continued love, our continued work for Jesus Christ is the final testimony. It takes root in our hearts. And that would change us all. It's evident here as John wraps up his letter in chapter 5 that he wants to impart knowledge to those around Ephesus that are beginning to question the divinity of Jesus, that are, begin, that are, that are questioning the, the man Jesus, the physical presence of Jesus, that are beginning to question the scriptures of what is being written about Jesus, the historical fact of Jesus. He wants them to know what is true. That salvation comes by faith and by grace alone. In fact, you know, uh, the word no in the Greek is oida. And in, chap- in, in John's letter, it's used um, 15 times. In the Gospel of John, it's used, I think, 30 or 40 times. Does that give you a clue about what John's purpose is? He wants us to know. Half of those uh, references to know are in chapter 5 as he closes his letter. He wants us to know. And Oida is not just this kind of knowledge. It is the knowledge of the heart to experience, to know. That you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, What John is saying here is that God is with us. We are not alone. No matter what others may say, the victory is ours even in death. Even in death. And and we, as Christ followers and believers... It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter about our abilities. God uses us as his presence, as his incarnation in this world. And I think, I tell you, I really believe that it is in our weakness and in our failures that God uses us at the greatest in our lives. So there is none of us in this room that can say, oh, I'm not worthy. None of us in this room can say, oh, I can't do that. None of us in this room say, well, I can't measure up. Because as Ed said to me, John, get over yourself. This is not about you. This is about what God is doing. There's a priest named Father Damien that was... uh, um, eh, he was an okay priest. And so he took an assignment in Hawaii on the island of uh, Molokai, I think I said that right, uh, a village, uh, Kaleawo, which at that particular time was a leper colony. They sent lepers there uh, to isolate them and to remove them from the population. He was such a failure as a priest, he volunteered for the assignment because he thought, I can at least care for lepers. And he went there, 
with no concern about his own health. Um, he uh, bandaged their wounds. He learned to speak their language. He embraced their bodies when no one else would touch them. He preached to their hearts. He organized schools, bands, and choirs. He built homes so the lepers would have a place to live. He built over, he made by hand over 2,000 coffins so that those who died could be buried with dignity. Slowly it was said that while Father Damien was there, that the village became a place to live rather than a place to die. But Father Damien was not careful. He did not keep his distance. He would, he would dip his fingers into the poi bowl, bowl along with the patients. He shared his pipe. He didn't wash his hands often when he, after he had bandaged an open wound. He got close. He wanted them to know he loved them. And they experienced the love of Christ through him. He may have been a failure in other places. But here he was an instrument of the presence of God. There was a day. I mean, they accepted him. I mean, he was a loving priest. They accepted him. But he was still not one of them. He was there because he chose to be there, not because he had to be there. Not because he was isolated there. Not because he could not leave. And then one day he got up to preach and he said these words. We lepers. You hear that? He caught the disease. He had become one of them. Now he just wasn't helping them. He was with them. From that day forward, he was not just on their island. He was in their skin. First he had chosen. Now he would die as they died. They were in it together. I think that's what John is trying to say to us about Jesus. That Jesus came not just to visit our experience, not just to come to show us love, not just to come to teach and to heal. Jesus came to be one of us. That's what John wants us to know. Jesus came to be one of us, to be tempted like us, to, to struggle like us, to be hungry like us, to suffer like us, to die like us, and to show us that all of those things in God's hands is never the end. There is no other. Others may say, well, this way to God, or this way to God, there is no other but Jesus. And I've said this before, and I will say it again, and when we talk about our beliefs, I'm going to say it over and over again. Um, it is scandalous if we claim it to the fullest extent that Jesus is the only way. But he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And as John would say in his letter, 
Everything else is a lie. So let us claim the truth of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Let us claim the truth and the testimony of all those who have gone before that God is with us through the Son of God named Jesus. Let us claim with all of our hearts faith in Christ and lay hold of the grace that comes from Him without merit. Let us be together, sons and daughters of our God, to live as He lived, to be with Him, the incarnation of God with us. As we enter into Holy Communion, that's what, we, that's what we are saying with our actions. We take the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the bread and the cup. And as we do today, I invite you to pray, Lord, I again place my hands, my life in your hands. Take me, mold me, heal me, touch me. I am yours.